Thank you, James. Thank you to the team. It was a great time of worship. Um, so, um, I think you are aware of the fact that we are, uh, we are going through a series uh, at the moment called A New Way to Live. And the series comes from a sermon that Jesus preached. Uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses the issues all of us face every day. And he talks about the kind of new lifestyle that he is introducing us to and bringing us into. And that's what we're going to be focusing on tonight. Now, the topic that I got was one of the difficult ones. There, there's some really nice topics. Uh, there's some really difficult topics. Tonight's one is quite a difficult topic because it handles the whole issue of purity and sexual purity. Um, that's that's the, the issue that we're going to be talking about tonight. And, uh, and, 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 and Jesus, as he begins to describe this new way of living, one, this is one of the topics he picks up on. And he begins to speak about, and, and for me, speaking about this issue of sexual purity uh, is, is a massive issue because I think all of us know that's one of the, the huge issues we're facing in society at the moment. Uh, and it's, it's not just for guys out in the world. Uh, people in the church are struggling with these things just as much as everybody else is. And so it's quite a serious issue uh, because of that. I think the other reason for me it's quite a serious issue is that the whole thing of sleeping around, sex before marriage, adultery, uh, all of those things are kind of, they, they, they're almost being dumbed down a little bit. It's like they're not massive issues anymore. Um, and, and, and that's another area for concern. But So the, there's the one side of this, which is the serious side, but there's a, the, the other side where, where it's a very sensitive issue. It's a very sensitive issue because it's difficult to talk about these things. It's difficult for people to admit they're struggling with lust. It's very difficult for people to admit that they, they're struggling with masturbation. It's very difficult for people to admit that they're struggling with pornography. Because these are all the issues that Jesus is talking about in what he speaks about in Matthew chapter 5. So let's, um, let's read what he says. <clears throat> Pardon me. Let's read what he says, uh, and, uh, and then we'll pick it up from there. So he starts by saying, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. Now, most of you will know, if you don't, it is in the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. It's a direct quote from the Ten Commandments. But then Jesus goes on to put it in a way that puts us all on the table. Here's what he says, and it's radical. I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, and that works both ways around, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's why I spoke about, you know what adultery is? That's breaking your marriage vows. That's when somebody who's married is, is sleeping around. 
But that would include things like sex before marriage. It would include things like pornography. Uh, and it would include things like masturbation. All of those I would put into the same camp. When Jesus says, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he says, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Then he gives us some really helpful information as to how to deal with it. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Any person, people here with one eye? Just. But here's the serious part. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. See how seriously Jesus takes this. And then he, he, he adds to that and says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So the first thing that Jesus does when he begins to touch on the subject of adultery is he redefines adultery for us. He, he, puts, it in, he puts it into a whole new context. He says that adultery happens when someone even looks at a woman lustfully. That's what Jesus says adultery is. In fact, he says that when we look at somebody lustfully, we've already committed adultery in our hearts. Now, this isn't some new teaching that he's getting onto. This is something that he takes right out of the Ten Commandments. If you look at at the Ten Commandments, they're the two scriptures, verse 14 and 17 of Exodus chapter 20. Verse 14 is the one we, we spoke about earlier on. You shall not commit adultery. Verse 17 goes on to say, you shall not commit your neighbor, sorry, covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Put those two together. In other words, Adultery is first and foremost a heart issue. It's an inside issue. You see, most people, if you had to say to them, have you committed adultery? They said, no, I've never slept around. But if they asked you, have you ever committed adultery in your heart, maybe there are a lot more of us that we'd be red-faced. But strangely enough for me, when I was reading through this, it's knowing where the problem lies that helps us to deal with it. If we understand the root cause of the problem, we can deal with it. Just recently, my, my daughter was rushed into a hospital. They thought she was having a heart attack. She was in incredible pain. They had to give her morphine. She was in such pain in her chest, right around here where your heart was. And they called in a cardiologist, and they did blood tests, and they did x-rays, and they did all kinds of tests on her, and they couldn't find the source of the problem. And so they admitted her into hospital, and the next day they did some more tests, and they discovered she had TB, and she had a cyst over here on her lung that was creating the pain. And the moment they found out what the problem was, they could start to treat it. You see, one of the reasons that Jesus helps us to identify the problem is so that we can deal with the problem. But if you don't really know where the problem originates, then how do you deal with it properly? You see, if you just think this is a behavioral issue, it's really tough to deal with when it's a heart issue, isn't it? That's why the Bible says, Jeremiah tells us, 
It's the heart that's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And in Proverbs, it, Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart. <clears throat> so as soon as we're able to identify the root cause of something, it really enables us to deal with it. Now, by pointing this out, Jesus draws people's attention to the fact that there is going to be a new way of living, and I want to point this out, where purity rather than sensuality is preferred. What he is saying is my people will prefer to be pure than to get caught up in this stuff. He's saying that we will need to know how to deal with temptation and we need to be able to spot where the enemy is at work in our lives. And his attempt, he's not attempting to try and heap guilt on people, but to introduce them to what kingdom living will be about. Now, I want to move on and talk about the solution that he gives us, which to me, um, is that what you're laughing at my picture? I wondered. I thought you're laughing at me for a minute. What is a Christian response to this? Because that's what Jesus goes on to talk about. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Fortunately, he doesn't mean that literally. Aren't you glad? But he does mean something when he says that. And I think there are three things Jesus is touching on. The first one is that this is a very, very serious issue that he's talking about. You, you see, when we, when we are constantly being exposed to sexually tempting stuff, literally everywhere you go, it starts to have an impact on you. I, I, I still remember the day, I don't know how many of you, you may be too young to, to remember those things, but I remember the day when I read about or heard about the first person getting murdered. It was like, <gasps> somebody's got murdered. Now we read about murder, it's like page over to the next page. Yeah, there, there's almost a sense where we become used to what's happening. And the same thing happens to us in this area. We kind of start becoming used to all the stuff that's going on around us. I want to remind you, somebody like David, who was king over Israel, even David fell into adultery. Now the reason I want to say that is, I don't even consider myself vaguely in the league of a man like David. He was a man who was called of God. He was anointed to be king. He received the Holy Spirit. He was a worshiper. He was a person who could pray through the night. He was a man who knew God. He's a man who had a heart after the heart of God. And he fell into adultery. It's not going to be on the screen, but let me just read it to you because it's a very interesting comment that comes out of the description of what happened when he committed adultery. It says, one evening, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof... He saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. 
And so David sends someone to find out about her, probably one of his servants. Here's the answer he receives from his servant. Listen carefully. Isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah? His servant said, she's a married woman. Do you notice that didn't stop David? Here's the anointed man of God who wrote songs, who was a worshiper, who knew God. He would beat any one of you at worship. Yeah, and war. But here's the point I want to make out of this. Please never say it will never happen to me. Rather guard your heart. Rather walk carefully. Rather recognize the power that this thing has in people's lives. But we also need to take this seriously. Because I don't think there's anybody here tonight who really understands the sinfulness of the human heart. Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth, <clears throat> chapter 10. He's referring to some of the examples we have in the Old Testament. And he said these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That makes sense? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful and will not. In other words, what happened to David will happen to us. We're going to face the same kind of temptation. So that's the first thing. For Jesus, I think when he said, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, saying it's a serious issue. The second thing he's saying is that we cannot afford to underestimate the impact our culture is having on. I'm sure you will agree with me when I say we are living in an extremely sensual society in South Africa. There, there is sexual temptation all around us. We've got access to information that's unbelievable. You can go anywhere at any time if you just own one of those little things called a cell phone. I had one somewhere. I think it's in my office. And guys, we've got to be able to handle the kind of temptation that's going to come our way. As Christians, we need to be able to handle it. And we mustn't be ignorant of the strategy of the enemy who is targeting Christians at the moment. Recently, I read about a pastor who had to step down at a huge mega church in the United States. Many of you know who he is. I want to tell you, when I read that, it broke my heart. I didn't stand, I didn't sit in my, at home and criticize him and didn't say, wow, you should never have done that. It broke my heart because here's a guy that God has used in so many ways. He's impacted literally hundreds of thousands of lives across the country. And here, because of some sexual indiscretion, he had a bow out in shame. All I want to say to you, why don't you pray for us as, as pastors? 
Because we are just ordinary guys like that. I know sometimes it might seem to you as though we're on a pedestal and we're a little bit more holy than everybody else. That is actually not true. And I want to plead with you tonight, even pray for me as I preach this message. Because you all know, whenever you speak about something, the devil goes for you. In the very area that you've spoken about. Have any of you ever given a testimony before and the next week you know what's about to happen? But the third thing I think Jesus is getting at when he talks about plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand is there are some radical things we are required to do when it comes to stuff like this. Like Joseph, there are times we need to physically remove ourselves from those tempting situations that come our way. Joseph had to flee. And remember, somebody was hitting on him. It was a dear lady called Potiphar's wife. Potiphar. Yeah. And every day she would come to him. And she was quite open. Let's jump into bed together. Don't think you can get any more straight than that. Day after day after day. That's called serious sexual temptation. And one day, she obviously grabbed hold of him because it said he had to literally slip out of his garment and he had to run and he left her holding the garment and she used that as evidence against him. I want to add this. It cost Joseph big time to flee. Ended up in prison for it. And there is a point for us there. Sometimes it actually is costly to take your stand. Sometimes people may just mock you, but sometimes you actually may lose somebody who's very special to you when you say, I'm not prepared to walk that road. They might say to you, Well, if that's the case, then maybe we're not going to journey together. Sometimes it's costly. Paul's writing to the Corinthians chapter 6, he says, flee from sexual immorality. The reason, here it is, all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Why does that concern him? Because he said your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If I can put it to you as simply as this, you involve God in that when you do it. It's not just you and somebody else. It's you, somebody else, and the Lord. Because the Spirit of God dwells in us. And, and he's, I, I share that. And Paul wrote that to say to people, seriously consider what you do because of you being the temple of the Holy Spirit. When he was writing to Timothy, Timothy was a young man in ministry. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. What Paul is saying is, don't ignore the, the desires of youth, but rather pursue what is good. Philippians puts it brilliantly. He says, 
finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those kinds of things. Now I'll finish the introduction. And I want to finish off the message and land the message. The longer part of the message is the finishing bit, just so that you're all aware of that. But what I want to highlight this evening, I felt it's something that the Lord put on my heart for us, is that we, the way to avoid adultery and all of this stuff is by actively pursuing purity. You know, just telling people not to do it simply makes them want to do it more. The answer in the Bible is you avoid the stuff by pursuing something else. It's called purity. And so there's some practical things I want to talk about when it comes to pursuing purity. And the first is this, is to believe that there is another way to live. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is saying, guys, there's another way to live which is radically different to anything you've ever been exposed to before. Just think about this. We hear, we read about this, Jesus saying in the Bible that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery, right? And then you start to hear of all the stories of all the people that have fallen into adultery, and some of them are Christians, and you start to say, that doesn't sound like it's possible. See, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. You see, that's what the Pharisees believed. The reason the Pharisees said, don't commit adultery, by that they meant external behavior, because they knew that that was quite possible. Paul was able to say, as for the law, I'd fulfilled all of the laws. Paul had said, I never committed adultery. Except when you get to the heart side of it, you see. And Jesus, when he's, what he's saying over here, we need to, as believers, that's why, by the way, we're called believers, because we believe certain things. We need to believe that what Jesus is saying is possible. That makes sense to you? But that's the one part of the other part of this, is that sometimes Christians distort what God has to say to their own disadvantage. May I be honest with you tonight? God loves sex. God created sex. You're looking shocked. What he doesn't want is all the muck that goes with it. Look at what happens when the devil starts to tempt Eve in the garden, I want to read to you how she responds to it. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat, this is what we're allowed to do from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. That part's right. Listen to what she adds. And you must not touch it or you will die. Do you notice suddenly she's getting a warped idea of what God says? Now, I think sometimes what's happened to Christians, they've got a warped idea of what God has said. That's hugely dangerous. 
God hasn't come to rob us of the joy of life. He's come to protect us from the danger of sin. Listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm 119. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. That's a prayer that's interspersed. And then he goes on to say, And I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Guys, this is a spiritual battle, but it's being played out in our culture and through our culture. That's point, that's number one, what we believe. Number two, always be honest with yourself and God. Be honest. If you've got a problem with lust, masturbation, or any of those other things, don't say, I made a mistake. There's another thing, word people use, I kind of fell into it. You didn't fall into anything. If that's a problem in your life, just say this, I have sinned. This stuff is called sin, S-I-N. It means disobeying God. That's why when John writes, and he puts it so beautifully, he says, if we claim to be out without sin, this is what it means to claim to be without sin, when we change it to say something else. He says about people like that, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Be honest. And, but here's the brilliant part. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us. Guys, that's the answer. When you've got sin, you go to God. Because there's a solution at the cross. That's the answer. Thirdly, we have to take responsibility for our own actions. Please don't say, me, she did it. She made me do it. He made me do it. The movies made me do it. My cell phone made me do it. Take responsibility for your own actions. If your right eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out. That's what he's saying. Steer clear of what is tempting you and expose yourselves to things that will enable you to stay pure. I think there, for me, there are kind of two sort of extremes that Christians go to. The one extreme is, I'm going to try and do it in my own strength, and they fail miserably. The other extreme is, you get in your room and you just pray about it, you don't try and do anything about it, and you still struggle. You see, you need to pray and you need to do something as well. The two go together. That's why Paul says, Think about such things. Number four, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. This is what Jesus said to his disciples at the cross. Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing. If I had to ask you who doesn't want to fall into any of these things tonight, you'd all put up your hands. 
That means we are all willing. But he says the body's weak. Let me encourage you by saying this tonight. Something happens when we pray that you cannot understand. That's why when Jesus was facing that incredible temptation, when he knew he was going to be crucified, he went into a garden and he got on his own and he cried out, not my will but your will be done. And when he was finished praying, he went back a second time. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he went back a third time. And he cried out, not my will, but your will be done. But you know what? We all learn something from what Jesus did. There's a place when you start praying like that, your flesh gives in. It gets conquered. When Jesus got up the third time from his knees, he knew that his flesh had been conquered. And he knew God was in control. Number five, confess the truth of who you are in Christ. Now, we don't do this very often in the kind of churches that we hang out in. But let me say to you, the Bible says this. If any person's in Christ, they are a... Because there comes a time when you need to stand in the face of temptation and say, I'm not that person anymore. I am a new creation in Christ. I've been saved. I've been forgiven. At the cross, Jesus took my sin. He broke the power of the sin. That's who I am today. Maybe when you're praying, stand up and say, God, I want to just declare tonight that I'm a new creation in Christ. God has changed me. Paul said when he was writing to the Galatian church, Chapter 2, verse 20, said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. What he was saying is when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to the Lord, I died. There's a new me living now. Friends, when you come to Jesus, there's a new you. You're different. You changed. I'm different. I'm changed. Why are we going to celebrate that? Gee, I'm almost wanting to feel like preaching it. Number six, a reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. God designed the Christian life to be lived in the power of the Spirit. It's the only way Christians are to live. If you try and do it in your own strength like the Pharisees did, you're going to fail. I guarantee you that. doesn't matter how sincere you are. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus sent the Spirit. He said, it's better for you if I send to heaven because the Spirit will come and the Spirit will dwell in all of you. And the Spirit that lives in you, it says, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Think about that. Isn't that beautiful? This verse I haven't got up. I think it's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. It says, now to him he is able to do immeasurably more than you can even ask or imagine according to his power. That's at work in you. Like, that's amazing stuff to me. Galatians 5, live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
And then Paul spells that out a bit more in Ephesians 5. He says, be very careful in how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity that because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled every day, all the time, with the Holy Spirit. If I can just make a suggestion to you. When you get up in the morning and you spend time with God, one of the things you need to do before you leave that place is say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. I need you. I need your strength. Number seven. This is quite a radical one for me, but nonetheless, we need to put it out there. Keep in mind that intentional sin has eternal consequences. That's why Jesus is saying, rather cut off your hand than end up in hell for all eternity. He's not talking about we're all going to sin as we go along, but he's saying when you as a believer choose, there's some serious consequences to that. And the reason he's saying that is he's saying every time you face this stuff, one of the things that will help you, one of the things will help me is to remember this isn't just a little moment or two here on earth. This has consequences for eternity. And then the last one. Get properly plugged into Christian community. You know that when you get saved, you are supernaturally made part of the body of Christ. Do you know that? Do you know that a miracle happens when you get saved, when you become a Christian? You become part of the body of Christ. There's one thing in life you're allowed to choose. That's your friends. But you can't choose your family. When you got saved, this is your family. We are family. 1 Corinthians 12. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. It's the body of Christ. It's God's family. One of the reasons for that is we need one another. I need you. Please be very careful when we as pastors come up front to almost, and I'm going to use the word, idolize us, and that we kind of got it together like you don't. We need your support, and we need your prayers. Because sometimes we know we're on the front line, and we are targeted. Pray for us, and encourage us. Pray for one another, encourage one another. Help one another. May I say, have friends that you can sit down with, who when you say, do you know that I'm really struggling with lust at the moment? They said, don't worry, we're going to pray together. I'm going to help you. I'll hold you accountable. We're going to stand together because we don't want you to fall. We want you to have victory in Christ. That's real Christianity to me. Not that somebody, you hear somebody's, wow, they've, they've, they've got involved in something. Is wow, you know, that kind of person. God, what does that help anybody? It just destroys them. 
We desperately need people to stand with us, pray with us, walk with us, carry one another's burdens. That's what the body of Christ is here for. Amen? And I think I'm finished now. But I do just want to pray. Because I know preaching a message like this has definitely touched somebody's heart. Like I know because I'm a human being. Not God gave me some special knowledge tonight. Because these are things we all struggle with. All of us. Our thought life. What we look at. The temptations that come our way. Inadvertently. Sometimes you weren't planning that. It just is what it is. But pursue purity. Pursue it. Please won't you stand. I want us just to pray together tonight because I, the sense that I have is this is one of the giants we are facing at the moment. This is not just one of those things. It's a giant in our society. It's like David with Goliath. But remember who won? Not Goliath. And I feel as a generation, we, we want to spiritually start to tear down these strongholds. We want to come against these things. I don't want to be trying to defend myself. I want to be moving forward with God in prayer, in humility, and saying, God, tear down and break down these strongholds. I think as a church and as a body, if we start to pray like that, we know that the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let's pray like that tonight. God, we stand here tonight. And sometimes we feel like David... We feel fairly insignificant and small compared to the giant that we faces, we are facing, who brags, who boasts, who declares to us, I will tear you up and feed you to the dogs. But Lord, tonight we want to say as Christians, as your children, as your people, we come in the name of the Lord. We come in the power of the Lord and in the authority of the Lord. Father, we come in humility before you tonight. And Lord, we want to say if, if there are people here that have fallen, and people here, Lord, that have fallen into sin and, Lord, done stuff that they're really feeling guilty about tonight, I ask you, God, release them, set them free, and will you forgive them tonight? Because we don't want to be a broken people. We want to be a forgiven people. But, Lord, we want to also pray against this strong man, and against this giant that we face literally every day of our lives. Father, we want to ask in Jesus' name, strengthen us so that we may be strong. In Jesus' name, may we be strong, Lord. Give us, Holy Spirit, the strength and the grace to resist the enemy. Father, we want to be empowered and equipped with the Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, we want to stand before the enemy and say, it is written. It is written, I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It is written, we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live. The life we live is by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. That's the way we want to stand, God. 
So I just want to pray right across this congregation for myself, for all of us as leaders, pastors, people, Lord. We come and bring ourselves before you with humility and say, God, come and fill us again. Enable us, Lord, to be pure. Enable us, Lord, in a, in a, in a culture that's full of stuff that we find really hard stuff to deal with sometimes. Lord, enable us to live the way Jesus said. And Lord, I pray that you will do that. You will enable us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you please be seated?